Hello and welcome back to our episode. I think this is number six, isn't it, Locke, of this season? It is. We're getting really close to halfway through the season. It is. And we've had some interesting discussions. Another interesting one ahead of us. Uh, Ken can't be with us. He's visiting family. Uh, but I can. And my name's Cameron. Very pleased to be here. And I'm Luke. Uh, missing Ken a bit. Uh, and not just because I was waiting for him to go before I did my bit. And I'm Lachlan. The lesson this week... Um, again, is a little disjointed, a lot of uh, sort of good ideas touched on, and we're not going to attempt to address all of them. Uh, It is on the concept of willpower and what is the relationship of willpower and our capacity to direct ourselves. Um, What relationship does that capacity have with with trial and tempting and suffering and uh, refining uh, the crucible? Uh, as as the sort of central metaphor that we're exploring this season. Now, we might kick off our discussion uh, with uh, a passage that is addressed in the lesson, and then there seems to be a passage that seems a very natural fit for this topic, which wasn't addressed in in this week's lesson, which we're going to talk about also. But Locke, do you want to kick us off by reading something from Matthew? Yeah, I will. This is a verse that um, I think could well be uh, taken slightly the wrong way if you if you overliteralize it perhaps although i could be wrong on that matthew 5 verse 29 says so if your eye even your good eye causes you to lust gouge it out and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell and do 30 as well verse 30 says and if your hand even your stronger hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Uh, right. Uh, a couple of things come to mind out of these verses for me. One of them is the context. Am I right in saying that this passage comes after discussion of sexual morality? Yes, that is correct. It and does. anger. Yes, it's actually sort of bookended because uh, verses 27 and 20, well, 28... Um, Verse 27 and 28 talk about sort of adultery and lust. And verse 31, which comes on the end, talks about divorce. So it, it, the verses I read are yeah. really embedded in the middle of that sort of in conversation. The in, that, in, that context, <clears throat> in that context, is Christ actually talking about eyes and hands? <laughs> uh, um, well, I, I, I think I mean, we can cut straight to it. I think the lesson refers to this one as extreme measures or something along those lines. Right? And it definitely would be extreme to, to literally pluck out your own eye and, or, or cut off your own hand. Yeah, the lesson's um, phrase uh, on, <clears throat> on Wednesday's lesson was called, called radical commitment. Radical so, commitment. Radical um, and extreme, yeah. But I'm if we take this verse to be a, a little less literal than that, and we're allowed to take things that Jesus said not literally, um, because he does a lot of parables... Well, if only um, for the reason, Luke, that if we took these ones literally, we would all be without eyes and hands. Well, and I think that's a really good point. I mean, he he makes a, a very deep point about the nature of sin in this in this chapter, uh, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's an incredible um, teaching. Um, but if if we take it to be a little less literal and think about the wider application of it. Um, then what it is talking about is maybe not that radical and maybe much more practical. Because what he's essentially saying is, if you are in 
a situation where you are tempted, remove yourself from that situation, which is very good advice. And it's the same sort of advice that, for example, an addiction counselor is going to give to anybody who's trying to, who's trying to drop an addiction. Um, it's the same sort of advice um, that uh, a, a, a writer who is struggling with distraction will follow hmm. to get themselves to focus on a task um, or anybody to get themselves to focus on a task. Um, one of the best ways you can do it is to remove yourself from the environment that is distracting you. Right. You now, know? this is probably one of the one of the hurdles that's been a little bit more real for people over the last two years with COVID lockdowns. This is one of the problems with trying to work from home as opposed to being able to go into the office, if that's what your field of employment looks like. Um, one of the reasons for going into the office is that you are less surrounded by the distractions. Um, and those distractions could be you know, negative things like, I don't know, uh, you know, computer games or, or How less, you? less, yeah, yeah. I'm not looking at you, Luke. I'm just trying to think of, <laughs> of examples or they, but I, they, I was saying they well, could even uh, be I things mean, I, like, I would, like doing the dishes or, you well, know, there's all sorts of very legitimate cleaning, procrastination. Yeah, or, yeah. or doing the yard or, or spending time with your daughter. I mean, that's a very real one because the, the I mean, the, the greatest distractions, the greatest temptations are the ones that you can you can moralize, uh, or indeed the ones that, that genuinely cause a difficult decision between is it the right thing to do to tell my daughter to go away and make her cry mm. because Papa doesn't want her, um, or spend time with her and get less work done. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's the only two choices I have at the moment. You know, that's actually, uh, you know, that's getting a bit off topic. But, but um you're absolutely right. Um, people's ability to choose their environment. Well, I, I guess it's a different sort of problem, but it's quite a similar one. When everybody had to go to an office to work, your ability to choose your work environment was limited mm. by those constraints. And then when everybody had to work from home, it was also limited by those ones, right? And an office is not necessarily... A place free of distraction either particularly mm. if it happens to be an open office and i'm not going to get started on open offices because we'd still be here an hour later and we wouldn't have talked about anything else and you two would be real sick of me listing all the reasons why open offices are a terrible scam so we're not going to do that um but an open office is definitely not a place uh, free please, of distractions you'll be pleased to know like that where i work which is a school where the buildings were built in 1930 um the offices are small, pokey, and sparsely separated over the campus, separated by immense distances. So <laughs> sounds like uh, sounds like a form of heaven on earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, what's interesting here is trying to interpret this in the light of what you said, which I really like, Dick, in the context of willpower. The willpower in this, the, the willpower that Christ is recognizing. Uh, sorry, start again. The willpower that Christ is recommending to us is not a willpower that resists the temptation. It is a willpower that recognises its failability. Mm. And so the exercise in will in this instance is not saying I will be strong against this temptation. The 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 um, willpower is exercised in saying, Do you know, if this is before me every day, I can't trust myself not to succumb to this. Um, I am fallible. Uh, so easy fix. I'm just going to go somewhere else. Mm. Um, I'll get rid of the eye, I'll get rid of the hand. Um, and, um, I mean, this is, this is one of the, 
principles uh, behind air law, topical uh, for Luke and I at the moment because we're studying for a, a theory exam involving air law. Um, but nearly all the um, rules the pilot has to follow are not to help them process, uh, make stressful and difficult decisions when they needed to be made. The rules are there so that you never need to make a stressful or difficult decision. Mm. Uh, mm. Uh, it's to it's to ensure as far as possible that you are in a situation where it is easy to do the right thing. And I I think that that's a really good phrase. Kind of making, I think when we talk about willpower, we glamorize the extreme uses of it. Right. Mm. The the the. The massive exertion of willpower to achieve a certain goal in a short period of time or f- focus against all odds or overcome temptation heroically. <laughs> that's, that's the sort of thing that we think about. We glamorize these heroic acts of willpower. And that's maybe really bad because firstly, they may be out of reach for most, if not almost everybody. Secondly, they, they may only be the sort of thing that can really surface under extreme circumstances. You can't heroically, you know, employ your willpower to mow the lawn. Just, it's not something that you can necessarily do you, every day. You haven't seen um, my lawn, Luke. Um, it's, <laughs> it's approaching the point now where it requires some heroism. But I, I, accept, I accept the point you're making, yeah. Yeah. Um, the real effective and valuable employment of willpower which is is i think what christ is teaching here because it's very consistent with this message is the clever small daily use of willpower to put yourself as far away as possible as you can from those situations where you would need lots of willpower in the first place that's that's what most people benefit the most from most of the time and it's exactly as you described it, Cam. It's making it easy to do the right thing. Put mm. yourself in a situation where it's easy to do the right thing, rather than putting yourself in a situation where it's hard to do the right thing, and then hoping that your your faith-based willpower is going to save you. That's not actually... I mean, if you look at the Sermon of the Mount, Christ is not telling you to do that. He's telling you to do what you can to avoid having to do that. Mm. Hmm. I, I think of this sometimes in the context of free will. I've got I've got a colleague who does not believe in in free will. I'm not it's not clear to me what he does believe in. He's he's got you know he's not a um he's a thinker. He thinks a lot about things and he's, he's we've had some fairly lively discussions, but his comment is that um a large proportion of people's choices can be predicted with success a large amount of the time based on for instance if if you have computer algorithms that learn uh, from Facebook likes, uh, you only need to give them access to 300 Facebook likes, and then the algorithm is able to predict of a lineup of pro- of products which one they prefer, uh, with a greater level of accuracy than that person's spouse can predict. So um, you know there's statistics like this, but I think that that slightly um, ob obs what's the word to make obtuse ob obfuscates yeah, maybe obfuscates. Um, is that makes, how that's pronounced? Yeah, I don't know that's how. A, anyway, that's how I, I pronounce it, was, it. I always thought it was ob- obfuscates, but I've oh. only ever read it. It's not. I've only read it either. Hearing conversation. <clears throat> Our listeners can let us know. The, the 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 point is that the decision about which product I'm going to buy, or who I'm going to marry, or whether or not I'll catch the bus, or whether I will stick to my morals or compromise them, 
um, may not be the decision in that moment. The part mm. of that process where my will is exercised, you know, if only 2% of 2% of 2% of 2% um, of the choices I make are as the result of some concept of free will, some me making the decision. If the most minuscule proportion of the decisions I make is influenced by my will, the large, enormously large number of decisions I've made over the last 35 years, which have shaped the course of my life um, and, and the sort of person I am, the net contribution today of a decision from the from the that fraction of will might be hugely more. It's like if you have a, a pool table. If you hit a ball onto another ball and you change the direction of the first ball a little bit, the change of the second ball the second ball can change quite a lot. It can move if you if you if you hit, if the first ball strikes just a bit to the left or just a bit to the right, the second ball will actually move in completely different directions. The, the impact is amplified. Yeah. If those two balls are a long way apart, which in my analogy is a large space of time. If they if they're a long way apart, then the smallest change in the direction of the first one has a massive effect in the change of the second. So mm. so perhaps where our willpower perhaps perhaps it is fair to say that in that moment of temptation, uh, where I'm tempted to seek a pleasure or to avoid a pain or to avoid responsibility or to do it, maybe in the heat of that moment, I am just in automatic mode. But what what have I programmed over many years automatic mode to look like? Mm. What what has become automatic for me? And that seems to me what Christ's talking about here um, is is set up the sort of systems and the boundaries and the structures for your life in those moments where you are able to think clearly, recognize mm. that there's going to be lots of moments where you can't. So use those moments where you can think clearly to to reset the direction of your life into places where it'll be it'll be easy to become a better person. And what you've just done there, Cam, is is taken this into exactly the direction that I was going to steer it, um, and done so really well. And and in doing so, you've expressed in words. Um, I think extremely adequately, an idea that the lesson did pick up. I thought this was really good in the lesson. Um, it sort of pointed out that that sometimes these actions that might seem kind of radical might be necessary, not because God has made the Christian life difficult, but because we or our culture or, or whatever have drifted away. And it makes the point, people often wake up and wonder, how could I have gone so far away from God? The answer is always the same, just one step at a time. It's picking up on that idea of the amplification of smaller actions, smaller decisions, smaller events that accumulate, that build on each other, like compound interest, I suppose, and, and end up resulting in outcomes which are wildly disproportionate. When you when you stop to think about it, you sort of think, well, why mm. would why would this be a problem? And this this mm. played backwards, played backwards. This is exactly the sort of justification that we all tell ourselves about just little things. You know, oh well. I did go for a run today, so it, it's it's not a problem for me to have that extra chocolate at dessert. And then you then you realise six weeks later, hey, the actually the reason I was running was because I was trying to lose a bit of weight. Why am I not losing any weight? And what what you have to face up to there is, <coughs> you might have been running, but you were you were not actually making any substantial changes about things because you kept at a small scale. You kept sort of justifying, oh well, this this is sort of. I can now do this, or this is like this won't matter. But the problem is, a lot of things that seem as if they won't matter have added up to being an outcome that wasn't what you were looking for. 
that's a fairly trivial example, but I think there's many ways that it plays out like that. I, I, I've heard similar ideas expressed, you know, that uh, yeah, a, a lot of the decisions, well, a lot of the things that we decide to do on a day-to-day basis are really more automatic reactions that are based on precedent and habit and conditions that we've set around ourselves or have been placed on us. And, and the amount of active decision-making we do is relatively small. And it has to be so because it would take an enormous amount of concentration to be actively deciding um, all the time, everything. And the brain, uh, I've, I've heard it described as the human brain is very good at heuristics. Hmm. It's very good at making shortcuts, patterns to follow in a given circumstance hmm. um, so that it doesn't have to do all the work of thinking everything through. It just goes, okay, this is the pattern. And it goes and, and, and follows that pattern, you know. Hmm. Um, and, and we do that a lot. Um, and so I think, yeah, the, the, the true valuable acts of willpower are in the things that help to build those patterns into something healthy and not something destructive and mm. something holy and not something unholy and, and, and something moral and not something immoral mm. um, and something ethical and not something unethical, you know. And mm. it's, it, you know, it is, I think it's very consistent with the teachings of, of Christ to, and it's important to remember that Christ fundamentally teaches that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all not capable of exercising the required willpower to not be sinful. Well, this is, this is something I wanted to pick up on, Luke, because the lesson elsewhere, I believe, look, um, I confess now to our listeners that I haven't read the lesson this week. I'm relying on the lesson secondhand from... Cam, I just, I just take it that the listeners fully understand. I have never read the lesson any week. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and if, if if you didn't have that understanding, have it now because it's yeah. not changing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes I do read the lesson. Uh, um, you have more willpower is, than I do, Cam. Well, yeah, that's an interesting topic on its own because uh, doing this podcast requires some degree of willpower, and I find it easier in the space of this community to engage with the ideas rather than to just sort of tick it off as mm. something i've done i find it oh that of- sparks a, that sparks a thought cam let me come back to it when you okay. finished um in the lesson lock i believe it, it talks about how how do we in moments of of testing and trial avoid relying merely on our own feelings and mm. in act instead of uh, it recommends acts of will and carefully thought out actions as opposed to actions, impulsive actions based on feelings. By and large, I agree with the sentiment, except that, as we were just talking about, our, our will, we can't rely on it um, in, in that moment of testing. And there are some times where we have to rely perhaps a bit more on our feelings. And I'm thinking of when, when the woman comes and washes Jesus' feet and hmm. the disciples are outraged and give, give a quite logical response. No, 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 no. Look at the numbers and add it up. If only she thought clearly about this, she could. That money could have made a much bigger difference. And Christ says, "No, in this instance, she did the right thing. Yeah. Um, what she did means a lot to me, and it was the right. It was the right thing for this moment. Um, I still think the disciples are in the right, in 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 a strictly logical sense. But the stri- strict logic doesn't 
cover all the meaning there is in the universe. And and this lady obviously felt a huge amount of gratitude to Christ and showed that in a way that was very significant for her and for him. And he applauds mm. that. There's also, you know, characters like Balaam. Balaam does act very much according to his will. He comes to God several times and says, God, this is what I want. I really want to do this. Yeah. And he, he, he keeps on harassing God. And um, it, Balaam never fully um, becomes a reformed character, does he? Because he's, he's always, he, right to the end, he's still looking for ways to appease the king of Moab. And mm. um, there's that great moment, that line where the angel says to Balaam, because Balaam's been hitting his donkey, um, the angel said, well, the donkey saw me and laid down in the road. And if, if she hadn't done that, I would have killed you by now, but I would have let the donkey live. <laughs> um, which is which it's such is a good so, story. So it's such a good story. But it seems to suggest that if you're going to rely on your will, I, I'm not sure that that's any more reliable necessarily than our feelings. I mean, there are other things too that influence our decisions. There's our appetites. Mm. Um, so there's physical appetites like hunger, or 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 along with appetites, let's include things like feeling cold or feeling hot. Or if you're uncomfortable, it's mm. harder to be charitable to other people. Um, uh, there is our, and the things crucially, that we're afraid. Crucially, it's not always obvious to you that that is connected. And, and, yeah. I, and I know maybe that's maybe it's slightly more obvious to adults, but even then I think that we're probably having ourselves on if we fully think that we compensate for that adequately. I yeah, certainly see it in my kids. You yeah. know, it gets, to, it gets to half an hour before dinner time at night and all of a sudden tempers are short, um, yeah. people are irritable and you sort of stop and you, and you say, what's, what's changed? Oh, nothing's really changed. And then you say, well, you know, we're just about to eat dinner. Do you think maybe you're hungry? Oh yeah, I'm really hungry. Well, do you think that being hungry and having a slightly irritated physical sensation of hunger is causing you to be slightly less patient with people? Ah. Can any of you load up the text for three men in a boat? And there's a phrase, a seek not after morality, my friend, but diet your stomach with care. Is that before? <laughs> it's in that same passage somewhere. Uh, we it's, are but it, the veriest, sorriest slaves of our stomach. Reach not after morality and righteousness, my friends. Watch vigilantly your stomach and diet it with care and judgment. Then virtue and contentment will come and reign within your heart, unsought by any effort of your own, and you will be a good citizen, a loving husband, and a tender father, a noble, pious man. Yeah. <laughs> and then read the part that starts with before supper. Um, before our supper, Harris yeah. and George and I were quarrelsome and snappy and ill-tempered. After our supper, we sat and beamed on one another, and we beamed upon the dog too. We loved each other. We loved everybody. Harris, in moving about, trod on George's corn. Had this happened before supper, George would have expressed wishes and desires concerning Harris's fate in this world and the next that would have made a thoughtful man shudder. As it was, he said, Steady, old mate, wear wheat. And Harris, instead of merely observing in his most unpleasant tones that a fellow could hardly help treading on some bit of George's foot if he had to move about at all within ten yards of where George was sitting, suggesting that George never ought to have come into an ordinary-sized boat with feet that length, and advising him to hang them over the side as he would have done before supper, now said, Oh, I'm so sorry, old chap, I hope I haven't hurt you. And George said, Not at all, that it was his fault, and Harris said, No, it was his. It was quite pretty to hear them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a great <laughs> passage, but it, it draws on that point that we 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 are regrettably, but it, perhaps, but we are just we are incarnate, incarnate. And one of the temptations of Christ, 
was to throw himself down and expect the angels to catch him. And uh, that temptation is the devil saying to Christ, uh, you have the power not to be bound by the rules of nature and the, the natural processes and the way things happen, this, this incarnate sort of material mm. existence that you're part of. It, it, just it just shake all- it off. And, and you know, Cam, it was, it was also, tying it more directly into willpower, it was also the devil saying to Christ, you have the strength to do this and not, and not give in to the temptation. You have the strength to face the temptation of using your power mm-hmm. carelessly and not be corrupted by it. <laughs> yeah. And I think, that, I think the fact that Christ rejects that is really, really significant. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And and we are faced with the same temptation sometimes. Drawing on this back to the Sermon on the Mount, don't imagine you can be so spiritual that you can escape the consequence of being in a body that gets hungry and cold. And every, sometimes you're just going to have to take practical measures to um, ensure that in the future you're you're able to be the best self you can. Um, so. <clears throat> I don't know if that's necessarily choosing willpower in the moment over feelings. There are sometimes I think where our feelings are very powerful allies. Uh, sometimes our ambitions are very helpful, and sometimes they're very harmful. Uh, mm. Well, you know. I have a quote on that, Cam. If we could maybe turn to it, because yes. that thing you said before, which has already faded from my tired mind, but I made a note of it that sparked a chain of thought. Um, I have a quote here from Fred Rogers that I was looking up the other day. I don't know if you know who Fred Rogers is, American, um, sort of children's TV presenter who's yes, known yeah. for just being an incredibly nice, kind, generous, wonderful person. Um, so he said, The thing I remember best about successful people I've met all through the years is their obvious delight in what they're doing. And it seems to have very little to do with worldly success. They just love what they're doing. And they love it in front of others. <laughs> and I think that ties very much into what you're saying, Cam, that some of the things... Again, I, I'm, I'm kind of pushing this point of saying look, we over-prioritize willpower. And when we do think about willpower, we tend to think of it in the wrong sense. you know. And this is one of those examples where you look at someone who's been very successful doing something and go, oh, the willpower it took to train every day, to practice every day. And... I'm not saying there's no willpower involved in that discipline, but also it's probably easier for them if they really love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about a, a good example of this that might illustrate it, and I think perhaps you can look at, say, for example, um, Roger Federer mm. and compare him to someone like Nick Kyrgios. Mm. Roger Federer obviously loves playing tennis. He loves practicing to play tennis. Uh, you wouldn't do it until well into your late 30s, as somebody who's in their late 30s can attest. You wouldn't play it at that standard um, and keep trying to get back to playing in the top-level tournaments if you didn't love doing it. Um, and, 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 and the success that, that Federer has had attests, I think, mm. to the fact that he loves it. If you talk to tennis analysts and professionals and whatever Kyrgios is probably as talented as Federer and in, in, mm. in some ways has greater attributes you know the strength of his serve and, and, and things like this but it's also very clear he doesn't enjoy it as much and that's probably what makes the difference between them 
Yeah, mm. I think he enjoys winning, but doesn't enjoy playing as much. Well, and that's the thing, and that's what the the Fred Rogers quote was saying was the winning doesn't matter; it's the enjoying of the doing, yeah, that counts. And and I think we very often confuse somebody enjoying what they're doing with somebody exercising willpower, and yeah. that is a I think a mistaken understanding of what willpower is. But also, it hints towards what you were saying, Carl, about how willpower is best used or or how it can be most effective when mm. it's in service of a good desire mm-hmm. or a good intent mm. when it's working alongside something you enjoy i often wonder if we consider it to be a virtue to exercise your willpower and forcing yourself to do something you don't like right yeah i often wonder if that's a very mistaken that's almost a dare i say it a salvation by works type of view <laughs> of things. Yeah, right. That's... It's definitely not what Jesus is is teaching about willpower. Yeah, there's there's a couple of elements to this. One is I was having a discussion within my Sabbath school at Launceston about a choice of vocation and career, um, and uh, and what it means to leave things in God's hands and to seek God's leading. And one of the members of the discussion group quoted Alan White as saying something along the lines of. Uh, natural uh, talents and interests indicate the direction of God's leading in the in the choice of career or, or vocation or ministry. Um, and I think what Ellen White was saying, there are obviously some times where God does call us to uncomfortable things that we don't like. And there are some people who, are, who, who that's very much the case of. Um, but if you can find something good that you can also uh, enjoy in some sense. Enjoy it doesn't mean it's fun all the time, but you see the real value in it and it's something you can really commit to. Uh, then that's very much like um, the cutting off your hand uh, to avoid mm. the sin. That's saying I'm going, to, I'm going to place myself in a situation where it's easy for me to work hard for God's efforts um, and to do the right thing. Um, so that's a slightly sort of different slant on on the same thing uh but uh yeah related ideas i had a second point which i can't remember so it it can't have been too important so i have something that i'd like to throw in which is the there is one element to the i like everything that we've said but i think it has to be acknowledged that sometimes it just doesn't work out quite like that and i'm thinking of the verses where paul writes you know the the things i want to do i just I, i can't i'm not doing them and and the things that I am doing, I find I'm doing the things that I that I don't want to do. Um, I I can't remember where that verse is off the top of my head. Is it in it, Romans? It was. It was. Sorry, I've got it. I've I've had it waiting for us. Good, and I can good. read it for us. It's Romans Please. seven, um, and it is verse. Uh, here we go. I think I'll give the passage because the passage is good. Uh, I'll start from fifteen and I'll go through to twenty. Uh, twenty five, in fact. Is worth doing. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. 
So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, myself in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. That's that's the full passage. Of course, we know that verse, just the things I do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Um, but I think the passage is very powerful. Um, and uh, that was a, a point I was going to make um, about that one, about one of the teachings about willpower that is in, in the Bible is that we do not have enough, so to speak. Hmm. That it is insufficient. And it's good to be reminded that it's insufficient so that we are not tempted to try and face the temptation rather than doing what Christ teaches and removing ourselves from the environment in which the temptation mm. exists. And and to trust in him generally. You know, maybe, maybe, and for many people, maybe my friend's right, maybe we, we don't have free will, certainly not as much as we think we do. Um, maybe our choices in the past or even other people's choices in the past, which is a frightening thought, have placed real limitations on us. Mm. Um, an obvious case would be a pregnant mother drinking lots of alcohol. He's going to have implications for the for the child um, and his capacity for decision-making. So, And that just seems to be the way that the world's set up. Uh, maybe it is possible for me, through small and incidental choices, to build habits that effectively remove my capacity to, to have a signif- any significant free will in, in times of trial. Um, and in that sense, you know, maybe our prayer ought be that we become real people, that we are, we are as dependent, uh, um, we're, we're as dependent as the lifeless form of Adam, waiting for the breath of God hmm. to turn him into a real person, or Pinocchio, the great, you know, when he becomes the real boy. Um, perhaps we're all in that situation where we're, we're almost, but not quite, a real person. Hmm. And maybe this is what, what Paul's saying. And we, we are sitting there as the still, as the incomplete creation, not quite yet everything God wants us to be. Um, and we are ultimately dependent. We have, we have a part to play um, and, and we have things we can do and we have some capacity for self-direction. But, um, you know, we ought always come to God with the request that he'd make us even more of a real person. Mm. You know, tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Look, I think you had a thought connected to Romans 7 that I interrupted. No, I mean, reading it was, put it in its right context and was better than my my ad hoc recollection of it. The The point was simple, that I was simply making was that there, do, there does seem to biblically be genuinely times where <clears throat> where we're faced with the challenge whether it's that we haven't, by by misfortune or poor decision making, we haven't we haven't placed ourselves in the optimum set of habits and patterns of living that we may have, or, or whether it's just that that we've been called to to a context where where we're sort of outside our the, the realm of our best decision making capabilities or whatever it is. That there does genuinely seem to be cases and inv- and instances where there is real 
um, struggle here. You know, Paul writes, well, the, oh. I know these things aren't what I should be doing. I find myself doing them. The oh. trite answer for, from Matthew 5 is, well, just cut off the thing that's causing you to do it. And I call it trite. It's not trite. We've just we've just discussed for half an hour for 40 minutes about, about how much depth there is in that idea. I think it's really good. But it's trite in this sense. Paul can't necessarily just disconnect from the situations that are causing these temptations. And this is the complexity of life. What if parts of those temptations are arising because of the actions Paul has been called to make as an agent of God's kingdom? So so I have no idea, but it, Paul does a lot of travel. And what if some of the some of the temptations or actions that Paul is struggling with are in some ways connected to travel? A really easy answer would be to say, well, just stop traveling, Paul. Except that stopping traveling would, for Paul, in Paul's case, be actually to step away from the mission God has called him to. And so there does seem to be, this is where there's an element of crucible, right? There's a kind of catch-22 here. There's an element of, no, there is a need to live this crucible, to to acknowledge and continue with this, um, to a certain extent, struggle. There's a certain element of refining going on here, yes. Um, but it's it's just one of those tensions that you're going to be sort of living in. And Paul, I think, in that passage in Romans, expresses really beautifully um, the... He doesn't, he doesn't throw up his the hands state and say, of he doesn't throw up his hands and say, all right, I'll just give in. Mm. Um, he, he views himself as incomplete, but also as a work in progress. Yeah, and he recognizes a dependence on God and he his conscious, deliberate redirection uh, of, of thinking is to is to dwell on that. Yeah, mm. and the good, good news is that um, just as bad habits are formed, with small incremental steps, maybe good habits are too. So maybe every mm. time just saying, "All right, I'm going to try again, and I'm going to try again, and I'm going to try again, and I'm going to try and, again." And you know what? Trying again is the first and most fundamental of the good habits. <laughs> All other good habits come from that one, which is when faced with a failure, to give it another go. Mm. Um, <clears throat> there's one more point I, I want to really hammer, because it, it comes through. It comes through clearer and clearer in the in, in in what we've been reading today, and in these two verses, the one from Matthew and the one from Roman, um, and that is that at no point anywhere in the Bible, as far as I'm aware, is it advocated for. And it's not just these two verses. In fact, it's it's also including the story you mentioned about uh, Cam, I think it was, where Christ was tempted, right? In none of the these stories, in none of the biblical principles, advocate for seeking out temptation to strengthen your willpower. <laughs> that is not ever a strategy or an approach uh, that is 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 taught biblically. It hmm. is something that some Christians and some uh, people who call themselves Christians have have promoted or otherwise used to excuse their own behavior, or otherwise used to try and control the behavior of others. Mm. Um, and I think uh, uh, quite a lot about, um, you know, the, the concept of a, uh, uh, help me out, what's it called? Where you, you the, the Catholic one, where you pay money for uh, an um, indulgence. Indulgence. Yes, the concept of indulgences, where essentially you can, 
you know, you can go and sin and then you pay for it and you're good, you know. That's very inconsistent with what the Bible teaches us about temptation and willpower, Mm. which is that there's plenty of it around. There's more than enough, even if you actively try and avoid it, which is what you should be doing. Mm. (laughs) Um, And and that maybe is a good thought to, to end on. Yeah, let, let's end on that one. Um, we are very glad that uh, you, our listener, have, have listened to this podcast. Um, we are hoping Ken will join us again next week. Uh, we hope that you will join us also. Uh, please feel free to share this podcast with anyone you would feel who would benefit. And uh, you can email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com.